Cool. Awesome. That's great. It's awesome just to see you guys chatting and, and just hanging out, and we'll get to do that some more afterwards tonight. And if, if you're keen, we're going out to dinner over at North Lakes, and we can sort of hang out and chat, which would be really cool as well. Um, we're going to head straight into the message now, and then we're going to sing a couple of songs, have a communion, sing a couple of songs to finish off um, tonight. And we've just sort of finished a pretty big series the last, last week. We've been looking at identity and calling over the last five weeks, which has been really cool. And what we're doing now is going back into what we started at the start of the year, which is um, this, this sort of year-long series that we're sort of breaking up called The Way. And it's like looking at particularly Jesus' like core teaching, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, and saying, like, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? But the, the goal sort of this year is, like, we break this up with some, like, practical stuff, like the last one. We're going to do some more really practical stuff a bit later in the year, um, and then sort of intersperse it with some really good Bible teaching at the same time. And um, you might remember, I said this right when we started this series a while back. It's kind of a bit different, because we're not, we're not sort of saying, like, well, what, what questions do we have? What issues do we have? What, what do we want to know? And then coming to the Bible and, try, and coming to Jesus and looking for the answers. Instead, we're doing the opposite. We're saying, well, actually, Jesus is the one we're following. Jesus is the leader. Jesus is the one that knows the way. We're going to start with him. And we're going to see what does he say is important? What does he seem to value? What does he want us to focus on and prioritize? And we're just going to follow that. So basically, just sort of starting and going through this teaching, we're going to start to go through it in pretty small bits to try and really dig into, well, what's this actually the way of Jesus? It, how, does, how do we actually live a lifestyle that's in line with the lifestyle that Jesus calls us to live? What does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? And we, when we started off, we've looked at the, the Beatitudes and the values of Jesus' kingdom. We looked at the call to be salt and light into the world. And now we're getting to this topic that Jesus starts to talk about. And it's interesting that this is like the next topic in this, this sermon that he's giving, which is actually about the Bible. And it's actually Jesus' view of the Bible. And it's interesting that he talks about this because it seems like his view of the Bible was actually a little bit controversial. Like Jesus has come, right? So he's, he's lived his life learning the Bible. And this is, this is the Old Testament. Or it's called the Law and the Prophets. It's, it's the, the writings of the Jewish people of Israel. And this is not just like a whole list of rules. Like this is lots and lots of story and narrative. This is lots of poems and songs. And there is law and there is commands, but there's a mix of all these other things at the same time. There's even like commands about mold in your house and stuff like that. Like there's all sorts of random things about what to eat, what not to eat, like all these things. And, and Jesus has studied this, right, like his whole life. And now he, and he's been a carpenter. And now he's starting to teach people and he's publicly um, living his life in public life, and he's doing lots of things that the like people who are the, the 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 people in charge of teaching that are not happy with him, right? He seems to be breaking a lot of the things that they believe are important to keep. They they really had strong rules about the Sabbath and not working, and Jesus seems to be breaking them. And they had strong rules about washing your hands and eating certain things, and Jesus seems to be breaking them. And Jesus seems to be doing all these really controversial, revolutionary, radical things that people are starting to think that, well, Jesus doesn't really value the, the Scriptures. Jesus seems to, like, he's just come to get rid of all that. He's saying, like, that's done, that's gone, we're doing something new, we're doing something different, let's just get on with it. That seems to be what's happening. So Jesus has to describe and articulate what does he actually think about the Bible. And what we want to do today is look at what his view is and say, if we're going to follow him, we need to, we need to treat the Bible, 
particularly what he was talking about the Old Testament, kind of taking this to mean the, the whole as at the same time. Um, but we, we look at what he thinks, and then we follow that for ourselves as well. So we're going to go through, this is from Matthew chapter 5. We're only going to look at like three verses. We're going to give you some other verses around the place at the same time. So this is what Jesus says. It's pretty emphatic right to start with. He says this, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. So straight up, right, that's clear. And he has to say that because it seems like some people are thinking that he has. Some people are thinking Jesus has come to tear this apart, to put it all down, to just get rid of it and move on. He says, no, I've not come to do that. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he says this, for truly I tell you, so this is, he's using very strong language, right? Like truly, until heaven and earth disappear. Have a think about that. Like when's heaven and earth going to disappear? Like never. It's not going to happen. Like not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, not the smallest, tiniest bit will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus is giving. What is Jesus' view of the Bible? To Jesus, the Bible is Scripture. This is kind of a bit of a Christian word, but it's this idea that it's sacred, that it's the words of God, that God is speaking in these words, and that therefore everything God has said will come to pass. Jesus has this incredibly high view of the Bible. He's, he's affirming it. He's saying this is true. This is the word of God, and it will be accomplished. Not the smallest bit of it will go unfinished. And this is actually like a bit of a theme throughout the Bible, right, of this idea of God speaks and things happen. And God speaks and he reveals himself. And his call really to us is for when God speaks and says who he is and what he's like, is for us to believe him. That's actually what he wants. He wants faith, that we believe what God says about himself, about who he is, about the way the world is, and that means we can have a relationship with him. And God's enemy on the scripture, Satan, or the accuser, or in this story we're going to look at, the snake, he is constantly coming and questioning God's word and saying, did God really say that? Is that really what God wants? Is that really the right thing? And there's this playoff, right? And to Jesus, he, he has this view that he stands on these words of God and actually values them and lives his life by them. I want to read you, this is, it's kind of like a poem. Um, it's this, this man, his name's Andrew Wilson. He actually, he's written a really good book about the Bible. So if you're having some questions around this, it's only 80 pages. It's like $4 on Kindle. It's really short. It's called Unbreakable, What the Son of God Said About the Word of God. And in it, he has this poem. And it's basically a summary of the story of the Bible. Very, very simplified. Very, very quick. And quite tongue-in-cheek, you'll see. Um, and I'm just going to read it through. And as I read it through, I want you to notice this difference between God's word, what God says, and also it's the attack on it and questioning, did it really happen? So this is The Story of Scripture by Andrew Wilson. In the beginning, God, everything was shapeless and empty and dark, blobs of unsorted, unformed matter drifting through space, an enormous cosmic splodge, a scribble. And God said, lights, and it happened. And God said, and it happened. And God said, and it happened. And God said, and the earth did. And God said, and the animals did. And God said, go, have sex. Have children, explore, rule, guard, keep, have the run of the place. 
Watch out for one thing. That particular tree brings knowledge of good and evil, and you don't want a piece of that. But otherwise, it's all yours. Enjoy. And the humans did. And the snake said, Did God really say that? Are you going to let your lives be restricted by what you think he said? And the humans didn't. And it all went wrong. And God said, and it happened. And God said, and Abraham did. And God said, and it happened. And God said, and Israel didn't. Well, sometimes they did, but mostly they didn't. And God said, and it happened. And God said, here's my boy. I love him. Listen. And the snake said, are you really the son of God? Why not do this then? And Jesus said, it is written. And the snake said, well, what about this over here? And Jesus said, it is written. And the snake said, or this? And Jesus said, it is written. And the human said, Why do you th- who do you think you are? What are you playing at? Nobody can do that except God. If you go there, you'll get killed. Are you mad? Are you demonized? He's blaspheming. No, master, this will never happen to you. And stuff like that. And Jesus said, it is written in the scriptures. And the snake said, give it up, miracle boy. And Jesus said, how else will the scriptures be fulfilled? And humans said, crucify him. And it happened. Silence. And the humans waited. And so did the angels. And so did creation. And so did the snake. Did God really say silence? And God said, lights. And it happened. That's the end. This is cool, hey. I really like that. And again, it's a very simplified version of the story of the Bible. Lots of things, and if you're, if you're new to the Bible, and that, there's, there's probably lots of things that maybe didn't make sense. But particularly that part where, where Jesus constantly says again and again, it is written. Is this key moment we, we, we taught on it earlier in the year where, where Jesus is just starting, his ministry is just starting to go and teach people about the kingdom of God. And Satan comes and questions him Are you really the Son of God? You should prove it. Are you really? Why don't you just show everybody? Are you really? I'll give you everything if you just take this shortcut. And Jesus constantly affirms it is written. No, I'm going to follow and trust God's word. No, I'm going to follow and trust God's word. And Satan even uses the Bible to try and trick Jesus and says like, well, you can throw yourself off the temple and God will protect you. God will defend you. And Jesus is like, well, no, that doesn't match with this other verse. It says, don't test God. I'm going to stand on the scriptures. So Jesus lived his life this way. Again, this is what he said. Truly, I tell you, not until heaven and earth... In passed away, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, or be any, by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. There's a couple of things as well. When Jesus is speaking, like we see just how ingrained this was in his understanding that, that he lived his life this way. There's this one time, was well, lots of times, right, where Jesus it finds himself debating the scriptures with the, the professional Bible teachers, the Pharisees, the scribes. He's, he's constantly in, in arguments with them arguing things from Scripture. 
And, and in those arguments, you, we, we learn a little bit about what he actually believes about the Bible, what he believes about the law and the prophets. There's one time where, where he's having this argument around some obscure scripture in, in the Old Testament. And I don't want to go into the details of that, but just Jesus makes this side comment in the middle of the argument, right? He's, he's talking about this thing. He said, if you, he called them gods, whom the word of God came. And Jesus just adds this little thing in, in, in the middle of the argument. He's like, oh, by the way, and the scripture can't be broken. Like, like for him, it's like, here's a debate, then you have to stand on the scripture. Like th- that is not up for grabs. No way this can be broken. There's another time he's having this other debate and he just has this sort of throwaway line where he's talking about David writing a psalm and he says this, David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared. And this gives us some insight into how Jesus understood even David and, and the psalms and the word of God in the Old Testament. He says like, David spoke... David's this, this, this man who would write poetry and songs and psalms. And as he's doing that, as David's pouring his heart out to God, or even as, as David's like venting to God in anger, the Holy Spirit is speaking through him. That there's actually this human element to the Bible of people actually just speaking, but at the same time, God is speaking through them. So the Bible is not this book that just dropped out of the sky. It's not that David's there and goes into like a trance and just starts writing. And it's also not that this is just ancient writings that people just wrote and it's, there's, there's historic history to it and it's interesting, but it's not sacred, it's not scripture. It's actually both. It's human and divine. The Holy Spirit worked within the personality of the writers, of the prophets, of the followers of the Lord. So to Jesus, the Bible is scripture. And if it's scripture, everything that has, God has said will come to pass. More than that, though, he says something, that, and that, that was like a common view of the day, right? So he's affirming that, but he's affirming it emphatically, right? Like the scripture can't be broken. But then he goes and says something crazy for the hearers that, he, that, that are listening to him, crazy and radical for the day. This is what he said. We read it before. He said, do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And this is a crazy thing to say. Like, this is like a thousand years of history. This is, this is Moses, this is Abraham, this is Jeremiah. This is all these people who are writing. There's all these people who spend their whole lives studying this, base their whole lives on this. And Jesus is standing there on this mountain teaching, and he says, all of that is about me. Like, that is a radical claim. To Jesus, the Bible is fundamentally about him. He is the center of of the story. This is probably partly why people are starting to think that, that he's, he doesn't value it because he values it, but he knows what it actually is about. He's interpreting it rightly in that it's actually a story and that he's the center of the story. There's this story um, in, in the Gospel of Luke where, where Jesus has, has taught, he's, he's built into these disciples, and then he's been arrested, he's been crucified and buried. And then it's, it's Easter Sunday, but people have not seen him yet. They've heard that maybe he's alive, but they're confused. And there's these two guys that are walking, and they're kind of sad, and they're not sure what happens. And Jesus starts to walk along next to them, but they don't know it's him. It's just a guy. And they start telling him about what's been going on, and they're, they're sad and upset. And you think, like, Jesus is risen from the dead, right? Like, Jesus could just say to them, hey, look, it's me, I'm back. Like, he could just, like show himself in all his power, and they could just see him. But instead, he walks beside them. 
And he actually teaches them about who he is and the fact that he's alive, not by showing them in, in a miraculous way first. He does that later. But first, he goes to the scripture and he shows them that this was always going to happen. This is what it says in Luke 24. He said to them, so these guys who are walking, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. So he's saying their problem is that they actually don't believe the Bible. They're not believing the prophets. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Then it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus goes back to this law, to these prophets, the Old Testament. He goes through it and says, Look, this was all pointing to me. Everything that's happening to me has been already spoken, including that I'm going to suffer and die and rise again. And other ones, including that this message is going to go to people who aren't Jews. It's going to go out to all the world. There's going to be this light that comes into the darkness. And this is, this is what Jesus says. He goes, first the scriptures, this story goes on. And then eventually they, they go to this town. They sit down to, to break bread. And when that happens, he disappears. And they realized that was him. So he does this miracle. They realized that was Jesus. But first, he's taught them from the scripture. And then they said, what, when our hearts burning within us while he was telling us about this from the scriptures? Like Jesus first goes back to that. Jesus is the center of the story. And therefore, Jesus, we take Jesus as our interpretive key to understand the Bible. Because this is, right, like, like we said, this is a book that's, that's thousands of years old. It's not even really a book. It's more like a library. Like the Bible is like 40 books, 66 books, like 40 authors, like, like lots of different genres, lots, big span of time. Like it's not a simple thing that you, we can just open to any page and just understand exactly what it means. And people even sort of use this against Christians sometimes. Like you might have heard people say, right, like we talked about the mold, weird mold laws before, or there's like laws about not eating seafood, um, there's laws about getting circumcised, there's all sorts of things. And people are like, well, you Christians don't do any of that, but then you're saying that we should do this, or well, this is important, that's not important, that's not important. You, you Christians, you just pick and choose whatever you like. like. You don't even value your own book. But the truth is that in order to understand it, we need some type of interpretive key. We need some way to understand, well, some parts of the Bible are for certain people at a certain time, some parts are for all time. Some parts are for us today. Some parts are for not. And we need to decide, well, how are we going to understand that? How are we going to decide? Like, if this is the Word of God, we need a way to understand it and interpret it. And if Jesus says that he's the center of the story, that's ultimately about him, then we take him as our interpretive key. That we look at Jesus and look, well, Jesus actually seems to say a lot of these things in the Old Testament have actually been fulfilled in him. They were for a certain time of people. But there's some things that Jesus says and affirms that are, we are to follow and live by, and we look at him. So we look at him as our way to understand and make sense of the scripture. He's our interpretive key. So to Jesus, the Bible is fundamentally about him. He's the center of the story. It's scripture, and it's about him. He fulfills it. it, it, it the, the story reaches its climax in him. And even that, like, right, fundamentally, it's a story. It's, it's not primarily a rule book. The actual commands is quite small in it compared to the narrative, compared to the poetry, the Psalms, things like that. And lastly, to Jesus, the Bible is to be lived out internally from the heart. This is what he says in the rest of these verses in Matthew 5. He says, therefore, so the, script, the Bible's scripture, he's not come to abolish it, but fulfill it. It's about him. Therefore, 
anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You might say again, well, what commands are you referring to, Jesus? Are you referring to the commands about mold and circumcision or not? And again, we take Jesus as our interpretive key that, that we're going to follow him. So he's, he's, it's his understanding of the commands, and we're going to look at more of those as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. And, but Jesus is saying, right, that actually, there's, that he actually wants us to practice and follow and live into these. And this is not saying that, well, you have to earn your way to heaven. This is not saying at all like, like God's just going to grade you and give you a score on your behavior. This is saying God's kingdom is coming, where God is king. And this is the way to live and to know God and to live God's way and to have life. Therefore, to, to practice and do and teach others these commandments actually reflects God and honors God and is great. And to kind of loosen up and sort of talk down and sort of reject the things that, that represent the kingdom is to be least. This is, this is the way Jesus, well, this is not Jesus, this, this author describes it. Peter Amsterdam, not Jesus. He says this, being great or small in the kingdom isn't speaking of one standing in the afterlife, but rather of whether one is a poor or good representative of those who live their life with God as king. So you have to remember, Jesus is not fundamentally teaching about how you go to heaven when you die. Jesus is fundamentally teaching his kingdom. He's come to announce his kingdom, that he's king, that heaven is coming to earth, that God is going to reign, and he wants people to live into that, the, the beatitudes of the values of the kingdom. He says we're to be light, we're to reflect it. And then he's talking that we are to follow and live his commands, and that's great in the kingdom. And then he says this, and again, Jesus is speaking so emphatically. He says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So again, this is like crazy. Like, what do you mean, Jesus? Like these people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, again, like we talked about before, these are the guys that to spend their whole life studying these words, trying to understand and trying to live by them. They're constantly obsessed with obeying everything God said to do. And Jesus here seems to be saying, well, you need to do that even better than them. And you think, what does that mean? How is that even possible? But as we go on, and we're going to go on, we're going to keep going through this message, we start to see what Jesus is talking about and what Jesus means. Because these, these guys right who followed these laws... This is like external obedience to a certain number of commands. So if you just, here's the rule, just keep the rule. But what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom is here, the kingdom is coming, God is king, and what he desires is for people to live from their hearts in a relationship with God, where we don't just say, well, here's the rule, I want to follow it, but we understand what's the heart behind the rule, what is God's will, what does it look like to honor God and actually live in his kingdom? This is how this author says it. Again, the goal is not to follow a set of rules which make us good and pleasing to God. The true goal is to be in a relationship with him, to live for his glory. The question isn't whether we're mechanically following a specific set of rules, but whether we are being Christ-like and whether our inner life is synchronized with what he has taught. That this is actually the goal. Jesus' kingdom is coming, that we would actually be people who can, from our hearts, live and honor and do the will of God. And again, obviously, we cannot do this by ourselves. 
that the good news of Jesus and his death and resurrection is that, that there's forgiveness of sins. He gives us a new heart. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his power. But his desire is that, that that actually works it out in our lives, that we actually live in this relationship, reflecting him, bringing his kingdom, honoring him. And this is reflected, right, as we said, as we go through the, the next few weeks, we're going to go through and actually look at how Jesus explains this and the examples he gives. And this is kind of what he means about going beyond the scribes and the Pharisees. Like the scribes and the Pharisees, right, follow the law as a rule. But what Jesus is wanting is for our hearts to be changed. We actually do the will of God and honor him from our heart. And so one, the first example, I'll just give you the first example. We're going to talk about this next week, right, that Jesus gives, right? It's like in the Old Testament, there's a clear rule that says do not murder. And for most people, hopefully that's fairly easy to keep, right? Hopefully there's not too many people going to like their home group and being like, I just really struggle not to murder anyone this week. I just need some accountability to get by. Like hopefully that's not the case. It might be the case in prison ministry or something like that. I don't know, but... Hopefully that's another case. Like hopefully that command is pretty easy to keep, right? So there's a command. Good. We didn't, we didn't murder anyone today. That's great. But Jesus says that's the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, right? That's just external obedience to commands. Whereas what he desires and what his spirit and what the new covenant makes available is that we actually get behind the meaning of that command, which is actually not just not to kill somebody, but it's actually the heart behind murder, which is actually anger, and contempt and hatred towards other people. And that in God's kingdom, his desire is that we actually don't have anger and hatred and contempt to people. It's not, the goal is not that we don't kill someone. We actually love them even when they're frustrating us. That we actually are kind to them even when they're against us. And that that, that is this heart righteousness. That, that it's not just, have I, have I done the right thing? It's actually God's will being done from the heart. And that's what Jesus is going to go through and explain as we go through these things. We're going to go through that over the next few weeks. And again, he's not saying you have to do this to earn it, but he's saying like he gives us his grace, right? But his grace is not just so, so we're good, like we've got the stamp, that's it. Like his grace so that we get to have this relationship with him and his grace is the power and the fuel to be able to live this relationship with him and to reflect and live in his kingdom, which is the new reality that everything's heading towards. That that's, and that, that heaven is actually coming to earth and that we're going to reflect him and live from our hearts. Like that's his desire and his goal. And, and it's a reality because of the new covenant. Like he gives us a new heart. He gives us his spirit that we can walk by the spirit and actually grow and, and live and follow him. And therefore his desire right, is that we actually fulfill the law. Like not by trying really hard to keep the rules, but by a new heart, by the spirit, as we walk, as we follow Jesus actually reflect and honor the law which is good not as like this precious command thing but from a place of freedom and love that the issue is not not the law the issue is our hearts and our sin that Jesus frees us from that so for Jesus the Bible is also to be lived internally from the heart it's not just information it's not like we said the other week it's not just Bible trivia it's not just to study it's actually that it impacts our lives our relationship with God and other people and the world. So to summarize those three things, Jesus' view of the Bible. To Jesus, the Bible is scripture, right? Which is primarily about him and is to be lived out from the heart. And, and so this whole sort of perspective, right, is that we say we start with Jesus and because we trust Jesus, because we follow Jesus, we believe the Bible. And there's like issues, right, that people have with the Bible. There's issues that Christians have with the Bible. The Bible can be confronting, can be difficult, 
can be hard to understand, but we say because we trust Jesus, we look at his view and we make it our own. This is how one author, Andrew Wilson, says it. Our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus Christ, the man who is God, the king of the world, the crucified, risen, and exalted rescuer. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust in the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. I love him, and I've decided to follow him. So if he talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, and powerful, I will too. And this is the kicker. Even if some of my questions remain unanswered or my answers remain unpopular, that we will trust Jesus and approach the Scripture the same way he does, that we would actually be people of the Word, that the way of Jesus is to be people of his Word who believe him and therefore live with it as our authority for life, that we take it as Scripture. So I just want to give you a few ways maybe that, 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 that to, to sort of read, what's the word, like to change how we think and approach the Bible. Because I think sometimes just our thinking and the way we think about it impacts how we treat it and how we live by it as well. So I just want to give you, these are just some quick things that I came up with, maybe how, how we can let this actually change and shape our lives. So first thing, instead of pressuring yourself to read the Bible, which is probably a pretty common thing for Christians to do, Instead of saying, I really should read the Bible more, I'm really not doing my devotions, I really need to get into it. Instead of doing that, remind yourself what it is. Like when, and, and I found this in myself, even just the last couple of days writing this message. Like, like I've been a bit like that recently. I've been like, oh, I really should read the Bible a bit more. But I, there's other books that are about the Bible that are a bit more interesting at the moment. So I'm still learning, but it's like someone else's interpretation. And it's like this pressure. But actually, when you say, actually, this is the Word of God. Like, this is scripture. Everything is going to be fulfilled. Nothing will go unfulfilled. This is the story of God with Jesus at the center that we read to know the living God and king of the universe. Like, when we remember what it is, you'll want to read it, right? You'll want to study it. You'll want to grow on it. Pressuring and, and, and shoulds and guilt is not going to help. It's just going to make it worse. And, and they, they just make it sound like the goal is just to read the Bible. And the goal is not. The goal is to know God and to live in his kingdom and to grow with him. So, so first thing, remind yourself what it is. Secondly, rather than approaching it randomly, see it as one grand story with Jesus as the main character, like we're saying. I think there's a temptation sometimes. Again, it's just a whole lot of things that just random things, random books, random verses, and we sort of just open up to anything random. I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to do that, but, but approaching it or seeing it like just these random sort of sayings that we just sort of push together somehow makes it really hard. But when you see that it's actually a story, it's not, it's not written like a story, but it's telling the true story, the true history of the world, God's story. It's fundamentally about God, fundamentally about Jesus. And when we approach it that way, it can, it can help it make sense because you have to sit, stay. When we, we come to a book, we say, well, where is this in the story? What part of the story is it? So in order to do that, we have to, we have to sort of have some grasp of the big story. So you need to read and understand, well, what is the story? Where does this fit into the story? What is this heading towards? And when we understand it like that, it can just come alive and it can just start to make so much more sense. And that way we don't just say, well, this verse, what do you think it means? What do you think it means? What do you think it means? And uh, we don't really know. Like, when it actually comes into a story, we actually have a key to help us interpret and understand it. Number three, seek to understand what the authors meant 
and what the hearers would have understood them to mean. So like I said before, Jesus is talking about David speaking by, and the Holy Spirit speaking through him. So David knew what he was saying, and people who heard David, we can assume for most part, knew what he meant. Maybe not in everything, there's some strange things, but for the most part, people were saying something and they understood what they were saying, and the people who heard it understood what it meant. Particularly the letters in the New Testament, right? Paul or Peter, someone's writing a letter, they know what they mean, but God is speaking through them. And with the people who got the letter, we can assume they pretty much know, knew what it meant. And so our goal is to work out what that was. Our goal is to work out what did Paul mean when he said this? Why was he saying this? What did they understand him to mean? And when we understand that, we can take a principle and we say, well, this is what it means. So again, we're not just approaching it, what do I feel, what do I think, what do you think? Like, there's actually, there's actually a goal and a reason. It's actually like, there's a human element to it, even though that God is speaking. And when we understand what the human element is, we can understand what God is saying. And um, there's, there's different tools to do this. One really helpful tool um, is something called the Bible Project. You guys might have seen, there's an app called Read Scripture. There's a podcast, I haven't actually listened to the podcast, but there's a podcast for the Bible Project. They have a heap of videos, and they just take books of the Bible and just like summarize the big picture of the book. They talk about the context, they talk about the goal, they talk about the author, what he's trying to say. And just reading something like that before you go and read the book will just bring things to life way more. It's not, it's not a random, we just have to make sense of something without any context. We understand the context, what was going on, and things start to come to life. Um, I love that stuff. I could talk about that for ages. So but seek to understand what the authors meant, what the hearers would have understood them to mean. And lastly, read not only to understand, but as the authority for your life. That is a different way to approach this book, right? Like this is not just we, we read a couple of verses to feel good in the morning or just to feel close to God. Not that that's bad. It's is not just like, it's just an interesting to kind of understand some history and understand what the, what the rise of the Bible, just to have some knowledge. Like, like for Jesus, this was the authority for his life. And if we're people of the way who follow Jesus, when we come to learn and to read his words and the words of the other writers of scripture, we say, this is the authority for our life. That maybe there's some things that I might not like or may be confusing, but I submit to its authority because I'm not God. God is God and we are his creation and he knows best and he is good. And that is a very countercultural attitude to have today. That, that our, our sort of worldview often is, is influenced by this idea that we are seekers on a spiritual quest for truth, that we're finding answers, we're finding God, we're getting knowledge. The truth is God is God and we are stuck in sin and slavery, and God comes to us, and God reveals the truth to us, and our goal and our job is to believe him, that we are not seekers, right? We're more like slaves that God comes to and reveals himself to, and we trust him, that we are not gods. We are created. He is the creator, and if that is true, and he has decided to, to put his authority into the writings of scriptures, then to live with them as our authority is to live with God as our authority, and to trust and follow him as our creator and to acknowledge that we are his creation and that actually he is good and his way is best. And, and again, that is incredibly countercultural because our culture is much more about just be authentic, just be true to yourself and very anti-authority. 
But again, that sounds more like the voice of the snake that says, did God really say that? Are you sure you really want to submit to God? Maybe it's better to come over here and do things your own way. But the truth is, what God said will happen, and the thing to do is to trust him, to place ourselves under his authority. And this is, again, we have such a negative view of authority, but if he is really who he says he is, then placing ourselves under his authority, under his care, under his word, under his truth is the best thing that we can do. And we're going to come to take communion in a moment. And as, as we do this, we remember who he is and what he's like. That Jesus, the one who's talking about the scriptures, right? He's talking about the scriptures and how he's going to fulfill them. How he fulfills them is by suffering and dying for our sins. That he gives his life for us. That if he does that, if he shows just how great his love is for us, that he would give his son, that he would lay down his life, that he would offer us forgiveness, then we can trust his authority. Right, this is not just an angry God who's just angry at people. This is the God of love who gave himself for us. This is how Mark says, puts it. He says, we are people who give up our autonomy, not to unjust rulers or authorities. Right? There's people we should not give our authority to. That's been, that's been abused in the past. But that's not what we're doing. We are, but to the one true king, the one good king, the king who has taken all of our rebellion, our sin, our injustice upon himself. We lay our authority and autonomy down at the feet of the king with scars. That's the one we submit to. That's the one we trust in. And his word, sometimes there's some confusing things, right, that, that we need to talk about, we need to discuss and understand, but that's who he is. And therefore what he has said is for our good is for our benefit, is in love. So we trust and follow and submit to him, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's unpopular. And there is, and, and so completely, doesn't make any sense to our culture, but there is an enormous amount of freedom in that. There's an enormous amount of freedom in saying, I'm not God. God is God. I'm just going to trust him. That, that there's freedom. That, that's actually what we're designed to be like. And if we fit into our design, we fit into how things are meant to be, that's freedom. Like freedom is not just do whatever you want. Freedom is doing the thing that you're designed to do, the purpose you've created, to know God, to reflect Him, to love Him, to honour Him. When we fit into that, that's freedom. And again, incredibly countercultural understanding of freedom. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond and, and, and take communion and understand that what Jesus is talking about, what Jesus has done on the cross... All of it was according to the Scriptures. Paul, when he's writing about this, he says, Christ was, um, the, the Messiah died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, he was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures. That this was told by God in the past. This is what everything's been leading to. And, and Jesus' kingdom is going to come and be fulfilled. And everything God has said will come to pass. But the center of it is this, this act of love and grace and forgiveness on the cross when he gives himself for us. So tonight we're going to come back and we're a community that, that centers around this. We center around a meal that we take to remember who our God is, what he's like, that, that we are not God, that he is. So I'm going to pray and then, and then if, you, if you believe this, right, if you believe this story, if you believe this God, come and, and take the biscuit and dip it in the wine and remember his body and blood given for you.
So Father, we just, just thank you so much that you're our God, that again, that God, that you are, you are far better than we could ever imagine. Your mercy is so, so great. God, would you just open our eyes to see who you are? God, would you remove the lies that have been fed to us? God, would you remove the, the, the lies that question what you've said about yourself and who you are? And would you give us faith to believe you? So Jesus, we just pray even today as we take the bread, the wine, the biscuit, the juice, God, would you reveal yourself to our hearts, Jesus? Would you show us that you are the good king? You are the true king. You are the king with scars. And we can know you and live in your kingdom forever. So we pray that you'd meet us in this place, in this time, in your name, Lord. Amen.